Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. All right, Security Bridges folks, how you doing? We are back once again. It is episode 32. I can't believe it. 32 episodes into the show and you're all still here watching and we're still getting in amazing guests every week. It's been incredible. What a wild ride. We're coming up close to the end of the year. Um, can someone please find 2022? I don't know what happened to it. It was here and now it's almost gone. But we've got more to go. We got a couple more episodes before we wrap the year up. And today is no different. We've got another amazing guest. So we're just going to dive right in because we got plenty to talk about today. I'm really excited about this. With us today, we've got Bill Diekman. Hey, Bill, how are you? I'm doing outstanding, Alyssa. How are you? I am doing wonderful. So way we always start, I need you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell our listeners who you are, what you do. Sure. Um, my name is Bill Diekman, obviously down here. Uh, I am the head of IT operations and the business information security officer for a large national specialty construction company. I also operate as a VCSO for several small businesses. I have been in IT for way longer than I, I care to admit. Uh, it's been 30 years. You're not supposed to say that. You're not supposed to admit to that. Come on. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you can believe it, um, it's been a long time. Uh, so my first professional experience with a computer was Windows NT351. Should give you those are days I remember well. <laughs> Scary days if you think about it. So I mean, where is 2022 gone? Where has where has 30 years gone from what we worked on and what was available to us and how we protected it back then to where we are today? It's it's changed. Oh, it's changed immensely. I mean, obviously the technology alone. I mean. Go back to that, those Windows NT351. I mean, we were just starting to figure out what the internet was even going to be. And I mean, geez, it's, you know, I, so I mean, let, let's talk about that a little bit because there's probably people watching this show who did not live those days. I mean, there's, I know there's at least one person who's a regular watches this show who I don't think was even born yet in those days. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was a, you're right, it was a different world back then, right? I mean, even Windows itself, having Windows in a production environment was kind of strange. Yeah, that was, uh, boy, I remember we moved Windows into production. We had been running uh, different versions of, of Unix, not even Linux, it was Unix. Yeah. And our databases were all DEC alphas. So to go from these big heavy duty things like DEC alphas with uh, with Unix front ends operating on them. And then all of a sudden, now we're bringing in NT351, NT4 running in clusters with as as front end application servers. Yeah, that was that was a scary moment. And and look and look where it's gone. 
Well, it's scary because we didn't know how to secure it, right? I mean, I think about the first organization where I began my professional career, and you know, we had some Unix and mostly Sun. We had you know Windows three five one, and I think we were just starting to get into Windows four, and they referred to that as the open systems, right? Because everything else was mainframes. I mean, we had you know. ZOS running everywhere. And, you know, it was all IBM 390s and stuff. I mean, it was, you know, OS 390. It was just like, you know, we knew kind of how to secure that, right? Like we knew how to deal with RACAF and, you know, all that stuff because they had been doing it at that point for 30 years or so. This whole Windows thing, you know, that was very new. Yeah. And, and, no, no plug or, or, or no, no hit against them, but even Microsoft didn't know how to secure it. So, no. I mean, you're getting an operating system that's running as an application server, that's running as a backend, doing even middleware, and there's nothing there to tell you how to secure it. You, you had to learn all of this yourself. I mean, uh, you know, for, for those who've been doing it for so long, you know, you had to learn the protocols. You had to go in there and understand yeah which each protocol did and what the, you know, what was being passed back and forth. Where did it live in the operating system? Um, could it be used for other things? And, and I'm not even talking about hacking or nefarious measures. It, we have developers who'd look at this stuff and go, oh, wait a second. I could do something really unique with this. That was me. Sorry. <laughs> I was, that's how I got my, my, my uh, start to the world. I mean, you remember, I remember when they first released one, it was like the C1 tool, if I remember right. Um, they're like initial compliance toolkit. Oh, yeah. That, applied, yeah. Like, you, you could use it to figure out if you were compliant with certain government regulations. So-so. <laughs> yeah, and it was so archaic at this point. You know, I look back on it, but, you know, so it, it is interesting because we look at that now, you know, one of the things I just had this conversation yesterday, actually, with somebody like, you know, they're asking me, well, you know, what do you think the, the you know, the next big thing is going to be? I'm like, you know, or, or I think they asked, you know, like, how is all this new technology going to change the world? I'm like, you know, it's really, really rare that we have any technology that's like earth shattering, right? Like, I think the internet was probably the closest we got. And it changed the way we live. It changed the way we work. It changed a lot of things, but it took time for all that to happen. And it's still, you know, we still all go to the grocery store. We still all, you know. And we um, haven't proven it's a good thing yet either. Right? We still haven't figured that out. We're only, you know, 30 years into this experiment or 40 years now, you know. But no, I mean, and that's that's true. It's like, you know, I mean... You know, and so as I think about it now, we talk about like, okay, we didn't know how to secure NT. We didn't know how to deal with Windows. Microsoft didn't even know. We see the same thing with new systems when they come out. We get we get kind of wrapped around the spoke a little bit, I think, on some of these things. It's like, well, wait, we've been down this road before. Right. And and so these new things do come along and you don't know how to secure them. So you really become dependent upon the other measures that you take. And, and it doesn't matter if it's micro segmentation, if it's subnetting with, with physical firewalls between these things. You, you When you bring something new in, 
And if you don't know how to secure it, you have to make sure that all of your other countermeasures are there in place. And all of a sudden, you know, your teams are looking at going, there's a huge observation time. Okay, you know, we, we I'm just when we first brought um, server 2019 into our environment, I'm, I'm, I'm a true security person. I'm paranoid about everything. So the first time we see it, it's like, uh, all right, put it in its environment. And we put a big wrapper, a big ring around it. And we watch everything all day, all the time. You know, is, is the active directory traffic the same? Is DNS traffic the same? Um, okay. If it's, if it's being used as a, a web application server, we're looking at ADM 443 or any specialized port for it. Is there any new signatures? Are there any new indicators um, within the traffic? Are there, or is there a different network wrapper that's being that's encapsulating the information? Because if you don't know these things and you go and you put it out there in, in your production environment and heaven forbid talking to the internet, you end up you know, with how our company ended up forming a true security team. Five years ago, six years ago, we had we had a server breached. We had no we had no security team. It was just the IT department. Everybody in IT was security. And all of a sudden the world woke up and it's like, um, hey, Bill, we can't just have IT function as security ad hoc because the security team, um, the IT department is incentivized differently. They're incentivized for performance, for uptime, for making making things work. Security is in, incentivized very differently. So you know, I, I built a security team from ground up from the day that you know we discovered that breach and all of these things that we've had to put in place to learn it, it's it, it's a huge journey especially if you if you never got to sit in a sock or under you know a large organization with a CISO and a CISO team there's a lot of things you have to learn and do yeah well and so you brought up a lot of really interesting points in this and one of the things I want to backtrack just a little to was <clears throat> you talked about that concept of isolation right and I think a lot of times when we talk about that, I think for most security people, myself included a lot of times, that kind of defaults to, well, that's what we do. That's how we deal with, you know, legacy or, you know, technical debt technology, things that we can't upgrade. We know that there's going to be vulnerabilities, but they're still driving revenue. So we got to keep them. And so we know to isolate that. But it's kind of interesting to think about the other way that like, yeah, brand new stuff that you haven't figured out how to deal with yet, isolating that and being able to kind of measure where where things go. If anything's changed, you know, in the last 20, 30 years, that's one thing is our ability to actually do that. Right. Uh, just just think about some of the new capabilities. And it doesn't matter if it's if it's on prem, if it's cloud, if it's AWS, if it's Azure, if it's Google Compute. Um introducing a data lake with ML models to it that have query interfaces to it. Okay, well, it's all it's all in our internal private network. Sure, but how many things inside of your internal private network are now talking to it or have the capability of talking to it? Is there anything exposed in there? Can, and I know I'm not unique in this, many companies allow guests to come into the facility, take a network cable, plug it in, you're on the LAN, now you have a foreign computer on the land that has the capability of talking to these things. It, you know, that now, now imagine having payroll data exposed in a data lake where if, if your land has free access to it and you don't have anything beyond 
identity control. That's, that's free game for anybody to go and work with. So everything that comes up, anything new, a, a data lake, a, a new service, a microservice, anything um, in our world uh, immediately goes into isolation. And so it, it frustrates the developers heavily. It frustrates the product and project managers because, hey, we've got this. It's all up and running. Great. I'm not putting it into production until we wrap around it. We look at it. And it's taken us a couple of years now that we're invited to the table at concept conceptual talks now. Hey, we want to start building. Great. Let's let's stand it up in an isolated dev environment, put our security wrappers around it, and we'll watch everything you do. So by the time you're ready to go forward with it, we've already built our processes and procedures. We understand what it should be doing and what it shouldn't be doing. So when we go and say, hey, we're ready for production, security is right there at the same time saying, we're ready to go to production with you. That's awesome because that, that answered exactly the question I was thinking to ask, which was, you know, how do you remove some of that friction? You just hit the nail on the head, I guess. By and it sounds to me almost like by creating the friction, you also then created the motivation for them to remove the friction by getting you involved earlier. Fr friction's not a bad thing. I, it, friction, not managed, not seen, not talked about. Um, you know, even arguments are are good as long as it's done to move things forward and, and yeah. you know step away from i did that you didn't do that no hey we're we're both we're all in the same boat here we're all trying to get the same thing delivered we are just incentivized differently to get it there so once we started having those conversations it let us be able to bring everybody to the table very early on um you know ha having somebody there from from the blue team who's who's going to be doing their best to defend against things against against whatever it is we're building, be able to see it at, at the creative step. You know, first time on the whiteboard, we start writing things and, you know, and, and to hear somebody, uh, a security analyst look at them and go, hey, you do know that we can do X, Y, and Z if you don't secure this over here. And everybody kind of looks at it and goes, oh, I didn't think about the intended consequences of that. Like, yeah, okay. I mean, really simple stuff is, you know, imagine, and I'm sure you've done it if, if you've ever done code development, um, you know, who's hard coded an IP address or a username and password into back in code. No, right? I would have never done that. Never. never. <laughs> and you still, still find it in, in, you know, legacy and, and tech debt out there. Oh. Um, but then to take that to uh, credential vaults and being able to give the developer, you know, the, the key that's going to be used specifically for that application in this environment, and now security has control over that because if you go and you try to want, it's not going to run unless you're using the correct key that's associated with the application. Yeah, these these are all great things that the security team has brought to um, application product development. So you said something in there that I think is an important point because I don't think everybody in security really accepts this yet, right? I, I, I think it's a cultural thing that we have to build, but it's what you said about we're all there trying to do the same thing, right? I, I, you know, traditionally security has been problematic because we're viewed as the department of no and whatever else. And, you know, people say, well, our motivation is this, your motivation is that we have completely different motivations. No, at the end of the day, we should all have the same motivation, which is building company success, which comes from innovation and revenue and all the things, right? And so I, I think what's important there that, you know, 
it's almost easy to take for granted when you're in a space that does it well is that security has to accept our responsibility and our accountability for ensuring that the business stays profitable. Right. If, if security is the department of no, which is what IT used to be for decades, they've IT has figured out how to shift it and give it to somebody else. Now security, if security is the department of no security is always going to be at the short end of the stick with the business because we are not able to help the business move forward with delivering product. You know, <laughs> I was wondering if that was you or me. I'm like looking around to see if uh, you put it on do not disturb and somebody gets through anyways. <laughs> um, so, so if I'm saying no to some piece of tech, some new innovation that, that needs to move forward, the business is already invested in that. Right. They've, they've already gone down a path and now it comes to security and security says, Hey, no, you can't move forward yet because we have to review it. We have to approve. Like the business is just going to look at us and go, well, you're, you're just a, a hindrance to business. I can't afford to be a hindrance to business. So oh. I have to be way in front of that. So by the time anybody ever says, Hey, security, have you reviewed and looked at it? There isn't even a question anymore. We, we are fully on board and committed to it. So now what happens is instead of just having the talks at the development team level, at the QA team level, at the product manager, we're having conversations at the executive level because now we're talking about strategic things. What do we need to do in 2023 and 2024 and 2025? How is security going to impact our ability to do that? And I get to sit there and go, you know, hey, look, we, we want to expand more into the Midwest. Okay. Security is going to have a lot involved in that. It means more people, new locations, new networks, all sorts of new things are going to happen. And if if the security team is not thinking of that now and the business starts moving forward, the business is going to leave us behind, plain and simple. We're, we're going to get left in the, in the dirt. And they're going to go forward and be in a bad security posture, which we can't afford. Yeah. No, and that's, you know... So you're a BSO. I used to be a BSO. And, you know, that was, you know, I, I don't know how you're structured. I know in my organization, when that was the role I was in, you know, I was, I was actually a part of the business unit. I wasn't a part of security. And what was nice about that was there were a lot of times I had to go to security and say, like, look, you know how this works. If you tell me no and the business says they have to do this, you know who wins that argument every time. So let's talk about how we – you know, get beyond that. And one of the really important things I always saw as a role to be so wasn't just taking a security message and bringing it into the business. It was bringing that conversation you just talked about. Here's what the business is doing. So we need to shape our security strategy to fit it. Right. So, so, so think of it in, in terms of rogue IT or you know, shadow IT, which has been occurring forever. And IT, all IT has, has been doing CIOs worldwide for decades. You mean the cloud didn't just create that recently? <laughs> Sometimes it feels like it. It, it definitely enabled it more. Yes. Um, so, so what IT and IT leaders have been trying to do is either shut it down or bring it back into, into the IT department, the IT operations side of it. And the reality is, whether it's shadow IT, rogue IT, citizen developers, it's going to happen anyways. So instead of fighting it, 
embrace it. And by embracing it, put the put the framework around it, put the governance around it, put the controls. Tell them we're here to help you. I want citizen developers. And, and this this has actually been a big shock within our organization because I go out there and say, I want you to be able to develop applications and solutions for the business. I just want you to be able to do it safely and securely. So here's the things that we're putting in place for you. Go forth and build, please. And if you have a question, I'm not going to tell you, no, don't do it. Just, you know, come back. My, my team will look at what you're doing and go, oh, here, let, let's, we can make a recommendation for you as opposed to, oh, you can't do that. As soon as you say you can't do that, we lose. The business is going to go do it anyways. Well, and this is where we get into that concept too of the paved road, right? Like if, you know, it's going to happen anyway. So you think about like that IT example and you look at why does shadow IT happen? Well, a lot of times it happens simply because it's easier or they view it as easier to go, you know, pop a credit card into AWS and spin up a new, you know, instance yeah. or whatever the heck it is that they're building rather than go through IT to get it all built and whatever. So when you can show them that it's actually easier to follow the path that you've laid out, you can get your stuff into production easier by following this. And that also then is the secure road we want you to follow that's that's the big win for security and, and that that's a message too that i think unfortunately landed a lot more credibly in the developer space than it did in the security space even though it's right. really security who want, should be the ones wanting that yeah and and if you think of, if you think of that approach now security is aware of all of the things that are occurring because the business isn't afraid to talk to you they're actually coming to you and say hey i built this I'm, I'm a little worried about I might be doing something wrong or I'm exposing something. We'd love to hear that because we'll jump in and look at it and and whether it's you know security or um, an IT developer team, our IT development team, or both of them coming together or all of us coming together, we get to look at it and we get to work on the problem. And, and the problem isn't telling the business no anymore. The problem is, hey, you all have done a great job. We're just gonna help you take that extra step and every time we learn this, and I, I'm watching this time and time again, every time we help one person in our organization, that one person goes off and talks to five, six other people who are doing the same thing. They're going, oh, do you think they'll help us too? Yeah, why don't you go, why don't you go give them a- <laughs> Please come here, that's what we want, yes. So, so instead of having 8,000 unauthorized applications that we see constantly used, and anybody out there, if, if, if you're watching your internet traffic and what your business is doing, they're using way more than you think they are. Okay. So, so I look at all of those. We, we started with 8,000 applications unsupported by the business, unsecured by the security team. And that has shrunk down to 1,500 that are now supported, secured, and all of the others, because, because we're sanctioning these, these ones that we now say are they're good, everybody's dropping the other ones because they're going, oh, well, I don't have to do all the hard work. All the hard work has been done by all these other people. I can use that tool just as easily. Hey, can I have a copy of it? Yes, y yes, you can. Now, of course, there's always things behind it, like you're gonna pay for it. Yeah, well, I mean, that's okay. those, are, those are the other arguments that we <laughs> wanna think about, right? Paying for things is, is not securities. Selling somebody they can or can't do it because of cost is not a security job. That's a business decision. If, yep. if the business wants to pay for it, who am I to say no? I'm, I'm okay with it. You just have to understand the total cost because 
if I have to secure it, if we have to put other things in place, there's other things that have to happen. That's, you know, that usually right. gets lost in translation. No, but that's, and I mean, it's interesting because you said you work in like construction, right? And, you know, so I think about that, you, I, I, I think if there's any one industry I was going to talk about where I think, you know, cybersecurity probably doesn't get a lot of attention. That's one of them that I would expect would be, you know, it's probably really not understood because I mean, most people think about construction. We think about heavy equipment and things like that. We don't really think about the technology side of it. So, you know, having a cybersecurity incident, of course, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. It's, you know, Hey, you know, uh, we can get some traction for that. And it sounds like similar to, because so I'm in an organization that went through something similar, right? A couple of years ago, you know, very, you know, it was publicized, you know, cybersecurity event and, you know, and, and there's people I still talk to today, years later, who still have the traumatic memories of that, you know, span of time. I think it was maybe a couple of weeks ultimately that they were dealing with it. Right. But, you know, and, it sounds like that similar to my organization it sounds like in your organization that's actually created a bit of a culture shift it it did um you know how, how many times can it say hey you know we need to be better at security we need to have patching routines and we need to do all of these things and the business comes back and says yeah not while we're busy doing other things great yeah. hey we need to take the servers down so we can patch them oh not this weekend because we're doing something else and that's, you know, it, it, inevitably, it, it, it's it's not a matter of if, it's only a matter of when is it going to happen. And the wind came along ex exactly as predicted. We all said, this is going to happen. We just don't know how or where. And when it did happen, it was, oh, well, what did they get access to? And you start doing your forensics in investigation in this, and you start going, uh, wait a second, we've got a SQL server on here. We've got databases on it. What are in the databases? And you start going through the databases and it, it just it just magnifies and explodes. And of course, you start reporting back out on this and now you've got you know the C-suite calling and asking questions. I've got general counsel going, hey, what was exposed? I've got risk coming in. I, you've got board members asking questions and you you have to be able to tell them honestly and truthfully what happened and, and we made it through it. And then as soon as we're, you're done with that, you never let, you know, an opportunity like this go. The first thing I did is, is I built out the whole, the whole kit and caboodle and brought it back to the table and said, this is what occurred. This is why it happened. Here were all of the warning signs and here's what we could have done, but we don't have a security team. We don't have a budget for this. And everybody sat right in the room and went, how much do you need and how fast can you get it? Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, a single bullet, a, a single bullet point would have worked for the whole thing. And as soon as everybody saw what it was, great, invest in it. And we did it. Now you, you, you go forward five years. Okay. I still go back with the same bullet points, but the business is far more invested in this. Now they know what the risk is and they're constantly asking. And, and it's, you know, my job and, and others like us, to make sure that the executive team, that the board is apprised of the status of how well we're operating and what are the trends out there that, that are occurring. And so I'm, I'm constantly reading, um, you know, all of the information about, you know, what's going on in our world, being a construction company, everybody goes, you know, who, who wants to, who wants to hack a construction company? 
Um, construction companies build very big, important things like power plants, power substations, transmission lines, solar fields, hospitals, um, you, you name it. And if somebody has a desire to get to them, the weakest link is going to be somewhere else. And we all, we can all go back to Target and what happened with Target with their POS getting breached in it. And what was it? It was a subcontractor. It was the HVAC. Yep. And that's, you know, and that, that's such a dangerous thing, right? And I think one of the things I have noticed that's changed in the last, you know, 25, 30 years that we were talking about, I, I've been in the industry 26. So you and me aren't too far apart there. Um, you know, is exactly, I think people are finally starting to realize, you know, especially with things like Colonial Pipeline, you mentioned Target and some others. I, I think people have started to realize that like, yeah, those things that we traditionally thought weren't targets because they didn't have anything, you know, really high profile in terms of digital assets. Yeah, they're actually turning out to be some pretty juicy targets. And so you can't just step away and say, oh, you know, well, if they're coming after us, the world's got bigger problems because they've already destroyed everybody else. No, they've probably bypassed financial services because financial services are, you know, they're building all their own little Fort Knox, not to say that they're impenetrable, but they're a lot harder of, uh, you know, someone to go after than say, you know, in your case, a, a construction firm. Right. And so, you know, I think that's one thing I, I hope we're starting to see more of a shift. Do you, you feel like I'm off on that or where do you? No, I, 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 I was just in a, an AEC uh, round table last week, uh, architecture, engineering and construction. And everybody that was there, maybe they all weren't to where I'm I'm at, but everybody was, how do I get to the next level? How do we bring a little more security into what we're doing? It, some of them are just beginning the journey, but they're beginning the journey. They're they're yeah. they're not they're not letting it sit any longer because they recognize the risk. They recognize the potential. I, I mean, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, would, would our company have been a target for anything? I would have, I kind of would have shook my head at you and go, why? I mean, what, what do we have? I mean, honestly, we got some blueprints, we got some emails, but it's, it's really not about what we have. It's what we have access to. And we have access to people in other places. We have access to systems in other places. We have access. We, we are the jump point to a great many things, not just my com my company, but all of our, all these construction companies out there are jump points to something much bigger. And if our barrier uh, entry, the cost to get to us is that much lower, we're, we're a much easier target. Um, well, it's interesting. You talked earlier about, you know, the, the incident you were through and, and, you know, there was a, a silver bullet, right? And I think, you know, as I think back on many of the, you know, the different instances I've been involved in, I hate to say there's been many, but there have, um, you, know, you look at it and it's, you know, we always talk about the cyber kill chain, right? It is a, a thing that people love to talk about. And it's that whole Swiss cheese model of, well, if we stop at any point in this attack, you know, one of these things will stop the attack. And I like that, except that I think it focuses the wrong way. What I would like to see people doing is instead of focusing on the attack, focus on the Swiss cheese model of the decisions made. You, you talk about yourself. You highlighted, here's all the things where we made decisions that were part of a Swiss cheese model that led to this attack. And it's like, 
you know, I, I think we could do so much better if we looked at, instead of trying to predict what attackers are going to do and try to stop them, we really need to look at our decision-making within the organization and start to say, how do we start, you know, closing up holes in that Swiss cheese model? Yeah. I, I mean, trying to predict what, what an individual or a group of individuals is going to attempt, um, you know, we, we can sit here with a crystal ball for years and, and predict what they may or may not do. The, the reality is, is actually where, where, where you're hitting uh, the Swiss cheese. If, if you don't understand your entire infrastructure, if you don't understand your entire process, if you don't understand all of your people, you, you have holes everywhere. They are everywhere. So start identifying them, start applying risk to them, start prioritizing them and figure out where you can very quickly, very rapidly move from something that is insecure that has plenty of holes in it and put something around it. You, you might not be able to perfect it right away, but you can do a lot of things very quickly. And I guarantee you, most people have stuff already in their environment that they can take advantage of to start doing things to just make them a little bit more secure, a little bit harder, a little bit more expensive to, to attack. Well, how many of us are walking around right now with, you know, contracts with Microsoft, right? I mean, I'm, and I'm not here to bang the Microsoft drum as they're all great and wonderful, sure. but, you know, I mean, you know, we're sitting here with an E5 contract. We've got an Azure environment. There is so much that you can do with the oh, tools yeah. that that gives you access to that. It's just like, I, I mean, are they best of breed tools? Even Microsoft will tell you no, right? right. The value of these tools isn't that, you know, Defender is the greatest endpoint security tool out there. No, you know, I'm sure CrowdStrike and Carbon Black would have something to say about that. Yep. But that ecosystem of everything working together and at least giving you access to have something is so much more important now than necessarily having the best tool for every niche, you know, control that you want to install in your environment. If, if you have a tool there, why not use it, even, even if it's not your primary tool? So, so we're Office 365. We're actually cloud agnostic. So we run in Azure, Office 365, AWS, um, Google, Google Cloud Compute. I have to because our, our customers, everything demands it. And one, I don't want to be tied to any one service provider, any one framework. I have the ability to move even my services around between all of them. All of them come with, even, even the very lowest levels, come with tools that are there. Why wouldn't you just at least turn them on and, and get some signal from them? Is, yeah. is Defender the best thing out there? No. Defender is way better than it was two years ago, three years, four years, five years ago. We run Defender. Do we run it as our primary? No, but it collects so many signals from Windows operating systems that I get a completely different view. Now take all of that and tie it into my other solutions and then put all of that back into, uh, you know, if you want to want to call it a seam, whatever. Um, being, a, being able to take all of those signals and put it into a place where you, you do threat hunting from one location and you start building out your queries for threat hunting. If, if you're only looking at the signals coming from, from your EDR, your XDR, if you're only looking at signals coming from um, your your routers and your switches, and you have something like Defender in place because you're running Office 365, take those signals too. And boy, if, if you're not enlightened by the end of the day, oh, I'd be surprised.
It's incredible. I mean, I've got people on my team who every time, you know, there's some new update or we, in, you know, launch some new capability that we had available to us. It's like, they're always amazed. Like, holy cow, we can see so much more. And it's like, yeah, you know, I mean, you've got something like Defender, which is embedded in the operating system. You know, we, we've got other things, you know, in, in non-Microsoft. I'm not going to get into talking about my whole security suite here, but, right. you know, there are all those tools. And it's like understanding every one of these tools that you can install, if you've got it available to you, it is giving you some level of intelligence. The question is, what are you doing with it? Yeah. I mean, if you go and you spend all the money on all of these tools and you collect all the data and, and you don't do anything, then why? And, and, and if, if you're, if you're going to go run down the next SOS, shiny object syndrome, to, to go buy another tool that is going to fix everything, it, save the money. Uh, yeah. I, I measure everything. Every tool that we put in place, I have metrics that happen before and after. So if I'm going to go in and add a new security tool, here's what the vendor is telling me it's going, to, it's going to do. Okay, well, I know where we are today. If I put it in place and I see a corrective action change in my metrics, it was a, it was a good investment. I put it in place and nothing changes, literally nothing changed, was, was the investment worth it? And... And I'm I'm fortunate enough that I can put something in and go, you know, six months or a year later, I go, it wasn't a good investment and we can take it out. Yeah. I know that doesn't work for smaller organizations, but you can do it at smaller increments just just as easily. I, again, I don't want to call it different companies, but you can go out and get get a freeware version of, of some of these solutions and go model it in, in 10 of your most active people and see what happens and go, Oh, wait a second. We're seeing a lot more than what we thought we were. That oh, might be a good investment for you. There's a lot of organizations out there now, especially if you look at the startup world. I mean, we have a bazillion security startups, right? Like, I mean, that's bane of the existence of any CISO these days or BISO or whatever, or VCSO. Yeah. You know, it's like because they're constantly calling. But at the same time, they're the ones that are so interested to get their foot in the door. They're the ones that are launching freemium versions of what they have, and you can use those tools. Take advantage of that. Again, they're not going to be best of breed, but there's going to be something there, and you never know. You may stumble upon something that actually turns out to be a pretty amazing tool. I can think of one we've got in our environment right now that started that way. They were a startup a few years ago. My predecessor brought them in very early on. We're now paying for it, but you know, I mean, it's, we're not on a free version anymore, but I mean, it turned out to be an incredible tool that we've built a lot of not even just our our cybersecurity program on, but our IT program on. So, so you saw the value in it. So, so you yeah. started with with a very low investment, ran it, probably took advantage of the, that organization to say, "Hey, can you help us tune it to what we what we think we need?" And then all of a sudden, saw value, and seeing that value right there is something you go you go right back to your CFO or and the C level and go. This is what we're seeing, and, and for the value, we should we should invest in this. And you know, if you're able to put together a cost benefit analysis like that and show it, th those are those are really simple questions to, yeah. to get answered. Well, and here's the other thing for the security folks out there who haven't worked in startup world before: there's value in what you just described to that startup yeah. as well, because any good startup wants to work with you on that because they want to see how you're going to use their tool. They want to know what doesn't it do that you wished it would do right? because that becomes their market 
Yeah, I mean that that's where they're gonna head. That's their market strategy, that's their product strategy. It way easier for them to get their product strategy from you than for them to sit down and do all sorts of you know, we the days of focus groups and crap like that are dead because they would much rather give you a free tool, let you run with it for a while, find out what you like and don't, and then they'll they'll keep adding the features you ask for. And lo and behold, they have a, a usable, valuable business model with a good product because they're, they're mark the people that they are marketing to are the ones who are using it and responding back to them. I, I've, I've done that several times where, you know, we've put in a, a freeware version or provide, it was a premium version provided to us for free, but we, we were sitting in meetings with their UI and their development teams on a regular basis going, here's what works, here's what doesn't work. Good Lord, can you put the date field in the same place on the same, on the different screens? Because right. I, over here, I'm clicking date and I get the next screen and dates over here. And, and simple, little, simple little things like that, that make that tool, that utility, that application more intuitive, more user-friendly. Of course, that's, that's a, that's huge investment on, on a development team. And if you're getting that from from people like us who, who are telling you what does and doesn't work, and, and and we get the benefit of, hey, look at all the things we found in our environment that are wrong. Yeah, exactly. So we're getting down to the end. We got to wrap things up, but I got to press you on the, the one question. A little, we'll, we'll get out of all this serious talk for just a minute. Sure. I got to ask, and I told you I was going to ask you this. Your handle. Hidden CISO. What is, I got to know what the story is behind that. So both on Mastodon and on the old bird site. So my, my official title in my organization is BISO. I'm the business information security officer. We are, we are a large organization. We do work around the world. And part of that work involves, I get brought into um, job interviews with our customers. I get brought into investigations with our customers. And every time I get brought in, I get brought in as the CISO. So here's Bill Diekman, our CISO. We run through the whole thing. I do my presentations. I do what I need to do. And I leave and I come back into the organization and I ask, so I'm the CISO now. And they go, no, you're the BISO. <laughs> so so I, I am the hidden CISO running around in the organization. I mean, in some ways, maybe that's good because, you know, if you keep that off of your LinkedIn profile, right, then you don't get quite as much spam. Uh, it, 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 it also it, it it does it does take the heat off of me sometimes you know some you know when they want to shine a spotlight and they start shining the spotlight I can I can slide off to the side and get out of the spotlight sometimes. There's no C there. You can't talk. You can't put me in that group. Right. <laughs> I love it. Well, awesome, Bill. This has been a blast. Um, this has really been good stuff. Um, I hope that you, you folks out there enjoyed it. I know Kevin, who was a, a previous guest on the show, has been. Uh, has been a pretty regular ever since. Uh, I know you were getting some value out of it. I hope everybody else did too. Um, it's been a blast. You know, last week, folks, I said I wasn't doing a show next week. I'm an idiot. I am doing a show next week. I've had a guest lined up for weeks. In fact, it's one I'm really, really excited to get on. I'm excited about every guest, to be fair. But yes, another really exciting guest. So we will do a show on the 21st. I will be taking the 28th off. So uh, just to plan ahead and then after the new year, we're going to be right back at it. But uh, Bill, it's been a great, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Alyssa. It was a blast. Thank you. So cool. All right. And to the rest of you out there, thank you so much for tuning in as always. 
you know, if, if you missed the beginning of the show or you want to watch it again, it'll be available immediately after the show on the streaming platforms and it'll be in podcast form in just a few days. So keep a watch out. If you haven't seen previous episodes, check those out too. They're available on YouTube. They're available on the ITSP Magazine website and your favorite podcast platforms. I'm going to throw all the plugs in there. And then finally, just a reminder, if you know any organization who has who might be interested in kind of connecting with some of the conversations we have here, or if you know any guests you think might want to you know, be a part of the show, let me know. Hit me up on Mastodon and hit me up on LinkedIn. I'd always love to hear about it. I'm always open to new suggestions. But until next week, folks, take care. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Securing Bridges Podcast with Alyssa Miller. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.